0: But I want us to talk for just a, a, a few minutes about what the dispensations actually are. Um, and I have a list here. Again, most people that you talk to beside you on the pew or, you know, talk to on the street, they're not going to be able to list these. This is, when it comes to dispensationalism especially, this is also somewhat true of covenant theology. Most people do not know these terms. They don't know the structure or the system. They're not going to be able to talk about it this way. Um, But it's helpful to know what the structure is, so you can kind of hear uh, where people are going when they begin to talk about these different things. So there are, generally speaking, seven dispensations that dispensationalists believe in. Um, And this word dispensation, you know, like, uh, dispense its particular times in which God gave out um, His grace or, or gave out His promises or gave out His, you know, whatever at, at these different points in time. I think it was David in a, a previous episode that talked about how it, from, from the outside looking in, it, it really does look like God just changed the rules over and over again and um, and I don't think dispensationalists, by and large, would disagree with that. That's, that's honestly how it was presented to me when I was being taught that. That you can't look at this passage at this time and apply it to yourself in the same way because the rules are different. You can't look at Romans 9 and say that that applies to you in your life because that was a different dispensation. Um, so we hear this kind of language. So, just briefly, here are the seven dispensations. So, there's a dispensation of innocence, and that um, covers the time of creation to the fall of man, Um, and so that's kind of the uh, pre-fall, everyone was innocent um, period of time. And then after the fall is the dispensation of conscience, um, and this particular resource that I'm looking at puts it this way, a time when man was left to rule himself by his own will and conscience, um, both of which had been tainted by sin, so the idea that God for a period of time left man to kind of do whatever he thought was right, um, and then after that came the dispensation of human government. Uh, when God uh, sent the flood, he ended them at the end of that previous dispensation. And now he's got Noah. They're starting over again. And so this is the dispensation where God says, now you have a government. Um, Tower of Babel, he sends them all, creates different languages. So now I'm going to let people have governments. Uh, Then there was a dispensation of promise. So there was a time when uh, Abraham was called, and then he gave a promise that one day there would be grace. Um, And... uh, or Well, more specifically, they wouldn't put it that way, but the promise that Israel, Israel would be a great nation, that there would be a nation, period. Then came the dispensation of law. So this is when God expected them to adhere to the Mosaic Law uh, that you see in Exodus and Deuteronomy. Now this is really important because this is where the parenthesis begins. Um, Because dispensationalists will say that the dispensation of law began with Moses, you have the nation of Israel, and then... For a period of time, there is a dispensation of grace interrupting this period, this uh, dispensation of law, uh, just long enough to save the church. So, put Israel on the back burner. Let's give that a a break for a minute. Now we're going to do something different. Save some Gentiles. Have a dispensation of grace. And so that starts at the resurrection of Christ. And continues today, and they say this will continue until the return of Christ. And so, rapture the church away, kill all the non-believers in the rapture, um, and then Christ comes back, close parenthesis on grace, grace is over, no more of that. Now we're back to, we're at the millennial kingdom of Christ, and now the law is back in place. And so often they'll cite passages in Revelation where it talks about the temple being restored and sacrifices being back in place. and So a lot of dispensationalists believe that the law is coming back, and that will be what's in place when Christ is reigning, um, and that it will be based on that now again, and that this is when uh, a lot of Israel, uh, or all of Israel, will come to faith, and, and they'll perfectly keep the covenant um, in a way that they couldn't before. It's going
1: to, I feel like it would suck for an ethnic Jew who repented and turned to Jesus like before that happened. I wonder wonder what how they would rationalize that. Would that person then be subjected to living under the covenant after he repented and followed Jesus just because he's an ethnic Jew? Also what about all the Jewish people who basically started the church if if it was just for Gentiles. Like that's I mean, at least that's the way it's sounding.
0: So yeah, in my personal experience, you won't get a straight answer from a dispensationalist about these exceptions. And of course that's um if you if we flip the script, that's the big criticism of covenant theologians of dispensationalism, is that these dispensations are rife with exceptions because of course, ethnic Jews were not the only ones who made up um, Jew- Jews um, even before Christ. Of course, the most famous ones being Ruth and Rahab, but there were countless others there were uh that was a a big part of the law itself and and the culture and the customs, even the way that the tabernacle was laid out in later the, the temple, there are specific places for Gentiles to enter and worship and offer sacrifices. So even in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, um, or as they would say, under the dispensation of law, um, before the church age, before the bringing in of Gentiles into grace, there were Gentiles worshiping God and making sacrifices to him. Um, and, of course, the church was started by Jews. Chief of them being Jesus, but then, you know, Peter, Paul, all Jews.
2: Wait a minute. Are you suggesting that Jesus was a Jew?
0: what uh, what? How about I that?
2: I want to also point out, too, that even in, like, um, the covenant that God made with Abraham, when it talks about taking the sign of circumcision, it, it says, like, him and all his household and the servants, like... People who would not have been uh, Jewish, um, because Abraham wasn't a Jew. Technically, he was. He was
0: a Hebrew, but he was not a Jew. He was.
2: He was. He was Hebrew, right? But even like before that, he came from Ur yeah. <laughs> of the Chaldees. He came out of Mesopotam, Babylon, probably. I mean, you know, like Abram was his name. His name wasn't Abraham. So all the people that he had with him for sure were not Jews, and so. The whole of the Old Testament is rife with this whole, like, hey, the point is not ethnic Israel, essentially. Like, that's not the ultimate end-all, be-all. But yet, it seems to be that dispensational theology makes a huge deal of ethnic Jews. Right.
1: Exactly. And also, you're just throwing out the general hermeneutic of interpreting Scripture with Scripture, uh, in which case you're just calling Paul a liar when he says that Abraham doing that was kind of to him as faith. I'm sure that happens before the the dispensation of the law, but you have to believe by faith that God is going to keep His promise that these these uh, sacrifices that you're doing, he's actually going to adhere to them. So even there, you're still seeing get by faith and god doing it through his grace so i don't know like i if you just do a little bit of critical thinking i feel like it all falls apart again <laughs> um if we had a dispensationalist person here i'm sure they would be able to articulate it in a in a way that isn't near as uh i guess biased as we presenting it but
0: Right, so two points of clarification. Number one, um, I don't actually remember, is Abraham a Hebrew or did that come after Abraham? I've, I get that mixed up. Here's something to go and study. Because Hebrew, Israelite, and Jew, those are three different categories of people. A Jew is an Israelite is a Hebrew, but not all Hebrews are Israelites and not all Israelites are Jews.
1: Right. Israelite would mean mm-hmm. that you're coming from your descendant of Israel, right?
0: Correct. Yeah.
2: That's mind-bending. Never really thought about it. I, oddly enough, did make some kind of weird arbitrary distinction between Jews and Hebrews, but I always, cu- always coupled Hebrew and Israelite together.
0: Yeah, so the Hebrews are who were in Egypt, they were not Israelites because... That was, they just didn't, they weren't generally known by that name by then. Um, Of course, technically speaking, Israelites are descendants of Israel, who was Jacob. Um, But there was not a nation of Israel at that time. Um, So they primarily were called Hebrews. Hebrew comes from, um, it was a name of a person, Eber or something like that. I I don't remember exactly. Uh, But it literally means cross over and they were, not I think called that, that until that had to do with a, a geographic moving of the people across a particular river, I think. I'm a little fuzzy. It's been several years since I studied this out. I was in McDonald's actually, looking at this. Um but they crossed over, they were the Hebrews and um Israel descendants of Israel, but then the nation of Israel, but then Uh, Israel was divided into two kingdoms. You know, the 12 tribes were divided, and you had Israel, the kingdom of Israel, and then you had the kingdom of Judah. And so those were the Jews. Judah. Yeah. Yeah. So um, we, again, Southern Baptist Gentiles don't make a big deal out of that, but it's important to use those terms correctly. Um, And so even... Even then, when you're talking about dispensationalism and all of that, they'll use all these terms indistinctly, but they have meanings and they have definitions. So the the second point of clarification I want to make before we close out this episode is um, under the dispensation of law, a dispensationalist, at least a Bible-believing one, and I, I do believe that's possible. I know we've been ragging on dispensationalists a lot, but I don't think that's a question of their salvation or a question of whether they believe the Bible. It's just how they're reading it and interpreting it. Uh, no Bible-believing dispensationalist would say that the point of the law was to save you. Um, it, it would be hard for anybody to say that, period, because that is so thoroughly made plain in Scripture that the point of the law was to show your need for a Savior not to save you. However, the, the way that they talk about the law and, and the weight that they put on it and the, um, the emphasis that they have is different from how we see it in covenant theology. So they wouldn't say necessarily that the people of Israel... Uh, from Moses until Christ, were meant to be saved by the law. They would always say it was by faith. Um, however, I, I think it's a question of, of the nuance with what God's intentions were. I think we can expound on this a little bit more in the next episode, but it really kind of gets at that. It's a different view of God's intentions, and his purposes throughout history. We view one purpose and one intention for the whole of history that God always, from from before the beginning of time, has set out to save a particular group of people in a particular way for himself, by himself. Dispensationalists, on the other hand, wouldn't be quite that clear about it, and so they talk about these different groups of people that God saved in different ways at different times throughout history um and so that's that's kind of the main difference there
2: I think that is an incredibly important one too though um that it the covenant theology is there's a reason why it was the really just undisputed way of interpreting scripture historically throughout like the entire church is because again through the plain reading and understanding of the word it the covenants already like the bible the scripture is already divided up like that and that that presents to you God the character of God and his purposes rightly as we know him to be from scripture like God doesn't change the rules. God doesn't have this particular group of people that he's doing this with and this particular group that he's treating this, this way differently. It, you don't have to do any of those theological gymnastics to accommodate for the the promises and the and the promises that are kept of God, especially I mean Jesus isn't it, it, scripture is so completely clear that God is calling a people from every tribe and every people and every nation, every tongue. So you either have to say, well, none of that's true in the New New Testament church or just a bunch of false prophets, including Jesus, who commanded them to go out into all the world. Or you have to admit that at some point there are some major plot holes in your interpretive theology. Yeah, um,
1: just real quick, I want to say that uh the covenants in and of themselves like we give them different names like the covenant of uh, uh, i forgot the first one uh the noah covenant abrahamic covenant all that um when in reality right they are just one continuous covenant of grace um more broadly called that um and as time passes yes we've given them different names but in all reality they're just expansions of the same covenant we're getting more and more glimpses into how uh god chooses to run things and and through that kind of a glimpse into his character so um.
0: all right well thanks for hanging in there with us um we will catch you next time on our next episode of the wannabe inklings i've been dusty
2: i've been david
1: my name is dustin
0: Je suis Nicolas et merci, ciao.